0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. I know that uh, the numbers are down, people are concerned, and people are uh, doing the social distancing, but I'm so glad you're here with us. Um, I want to encourage you, whenever you are around people, uh, you know, you know, we're not the police here, but wear a mask. Uh, if you're sitting around by yourself or what have you, then that's fine, but we're just trying to help uh, Protect our congregation from any germs, so just uh, be considerate that way and maybe wear a mask whenever you're in, a, in the group and talking to somebody up close, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> years ago when I was at another church, a man came into my office one day and he said, now pastor, he said I need to talk to you. He said, I'm feeling terribly guilty. I thought, oh, brother, here we go. I said, I can just imagine. You know, my mind starts wondering, uh, he's probably having some torrid affair. He's stolen money, embezzled something. He's probably, God forbid, killed somebody. I don't know what to expect when people come in and say that to me. But as he began to talk, I said, well, his name was Joe. I said, Joe, tell me what it is that you're the problem here. Why are you guilty? He said, because everything in my life seems to be going so well. I thought, what? He said, I feel guilty because everything in my life right now is going well. He said, I don't have any problems right now. My wife and I get along great. Kids are doing great. Job's fine. He said, health is fine. He said, matter of fact, he said, financially, I'm doing better than I've ever done. And he said, I find myself feeling guilty because I look at other people in the church and elsewhere who are struggling in one area or another, and I'm feeling guilty because it seems like God is just blessing and blessing and blessing me. And he's dead serious. I thought to myself, well, this is you know fairly easy. I said, well, here's, what I, here's my advice to you, man. I said, here's what I would tell you. It's just a matter of time before this season in your life changes. But just a matter of time before this moment in, in your life turns into something different. Because somewhere down the road, you're going to have problems. Somewhere down the road, you're going to run into financial issues, health problems, relationship problems, you name it. Something is going to happen. And so the time will come whenever you have ample opportunity to feel bad, okay? I said, but right now is not one of them. I said, so there's no sense in you feeling guilty because I don't believe that God wants you to feel guilty over the blessings that are coming your way. I believe that God wants you to help others as much as you can, but at the same time not to feel that way because there will be moments in life where things change and you've got to understand that. And so for now, this is the moment in your life that you're experiencing, the thing that you're going through, this phase, if you will, we'll call it that, um, that you're going through. So just enjoy it, praise the Lord, and go on. I said, because part of growing as a mature Christian is being able to handle not only adversity, but also being able to handle blessing. Because you see, both come our way at different moments in time. We've got to be able to handle both. And so my advice to you would be just to go on and praise the Lord and accept his blessings while they come. And whenever the time comes, and it will, when things change, um, praise him still, but go on. And so he was happy with that, and he left. Now, I want to talk to you today about something along those lines. And the subject or the title of this is Learning How to Live in the Moment. What I'm talking about is this, the moments of time in in your life where you are experiencing something, whereas a month from now, that moment in your life may change. We have referred to things like that as the seasons of life. Well, in reality, season means sort of a time, an age. You know, you reach a certain age, it's a different season. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that could change overnight, something that could last for months or years what you'll do is you'll go in and out of these moments in time, these phases, and we've got to learn how to live and what to do in each one of them, what God would expect of us. Now, the point is this, and this is what I'm going to be harping on today uh, as we go through this, and that is that life is different for each of us at any given moment. So make the most of the time here on earth, regardless of the circumstances. Life is going to be different at any given moment for each one of us. So quit worrying about what you used to have or what you have now or what might happen in the future. Forget about all of that and enjoy the moment that you're in now as God would have you to and serve him faithfully in that moment as God would have you to and quit worrying about what you do or don't have or what might happen because there's enough and ample problems to go around for all of us. So we're talking about dealing with both the peaks and the valleys of life. Now, it's important that you are able to do this, number one, for your own spiritual growth, because handling, like I said earlier, adversity and blessing are both important, and we need to learn how to do that so that we can progress in our Christian life. But it's also important for your emotional stability. I've seen too many Christians who are, boy, they're on a manic high when things are going great, and God bless them, God loves them, they love God, and everything's happy. But, boy, you let something happen in their life, and everything falls apart emotionally because God hates me, I'm angry, I'm upset, I must be doing something wrong, I'm guilty. Uh, You know, it goes all through the different feelings that we have sometimes as Christians. And that's not necessarily the case, and we've got to learn to be able to respond biblically in a godly way in those particular situations. Now let me read the text for you. We're going to be looking, and this is our last message in James. Don't ask me what we're going to do next week. I haven't decided yet, but we'll figure out something. But in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, let me read you this passage, and then we'll talk about it. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, it seems like, as I read this, it seems like James is just sort of at the end of the letter and he's just kind of hitting things in a shotgun fashion. But as I read that, I kind of get the idea that here's what he's trying to get you to see because he's writing to all these Christians who are scattered throughout the known world under persecution. And he's writing to them and he's saying, okay, if you're in this particular situation, here's what you do. If you're in that situation, here's what you do. In other words, whatever season of life or phase of life that you find yourself, whatever moment it is in time for you, then here's what you need to do. But in all of these situations, you walk with the Lord faithfully through that. Now, what I want to do today is, look, I want to take you through these situations that are mentioned here, these moments in time or moments in our lives that we all go through. Look and see what he says about it, what we're supposed to do about it, and then go from there with some applications. So let's begin with the first of these moments of life that we face. For example, here in, in uh, the first one is this. He says, when you are in trouble. Now that's one of the things that we go through at times. That's a phase, if you will, that we go through in life. He doesn't elaborate on the trouble you're in, but it could be anything. Maybe it's financial problems that you're having. Maybe it's relationship problems that you're having. It could be health. It could be the kids are are rebellious. It could be that you're caught up into some habit. It could be anything that falls into the category of trouble that you find yourself in. And here in verse 13, here's what he says. If anyone among you, is anyone among you in trouble, here's the answer. Let him pray. Now, man, that seems pretty simplistic. You read that and you think, okay, he's going to tell me something profound that I can do that will help me through this time. He did. He did. He told you something that is profound. It's something that you and I need to take to heart, but it's something that we rarely ever do. Why pray? Why does he have to remind these people who are going through all kinds of problems That if you're one of those people that is having trouble in your life, here's what you need to do right now. You need to pray. Now, why would he tell them that? Wouldn't they already know that? Well, if they're like most of us, they don't. You see, I've come to understand that for many of us in our Christian lives, prayer is the last thing that we do, the last resource that we go to. Whenever things go awry in our lives, whenever things aren't working, whenever we have problems, it seems like we worry, seems like we complain, seems like we attack other people and blame other people, but prayer usually is the last thing we do because we're just not geared that way, and that's odd. Why do we not pray? What is it? What's going on? Well, in my experience, and that's all I can speak to here, okay? In my experience of dealing with people, there are several reasons why we as Christians don't pray readily when we're in trouble. Here's the number one. And that is that we believe that God is angry with us and He don't want to He doesn't want to hear what we have to say. God's angry with me over something going on in my life, and I am too ashamed or embarrassed to go to the Lord in prayer, so I don't. James says, wait a minute, if you're in trouble, then here's what you need to do. But what if I believe that God doesn't want to hear from me? Well, the Bible teaches differently. See, the Bible teaches something that's contrary to that. Well, what if I believe that God is angry at me? It doesn't matter. If God is angry at you, he still listens. And it's what God wants and why he's angry at you is because you're way over here and he's over here. And he's saying, okay, come back over here with me. Here's another reason why we are so reluctant to pray sometimes, and that is because we are angry at God. Boy, that's a big one. In the Christian's life, you look at your own life and you ask yourself, how many times in my life have I been angry at God because of something going on in my life? Something that went on in my life years ago that I'm still mad about. Maybe you suffered abuse. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you suffered financial ruin, any number of things. But you have been mad at God for years. How could God do that to me? How could God take that from me? How could God allow that to happen? And that has colored everything about your Christian life, and especially your prayer life. And so, yeah, you've been reluctant to pray because you're just mad. Here's another reason why we don't pray as often as we should. And basically, we just, we just don't believe that prayer works. We just don't believe it. say, I prayed, Pastor, I prayed for that for so long and nothing happened. Yeah, I understand that, believe me. There are many times I've gone to the Lord in prayer and I did not get what I asked for. There are other times I've gone to the Lord in prayer, and yes, things have happened. And I have come to the conclusion as a believer that my prayers need to align with the will of God. There are others that don't believe that. I tend to differ. I believe that my prayers need to align with the heart of God. Because in the end, I'm convinced that God's going to do what God wants to do because he's sovereign. I can't explain it, and I can't explain how our prayers always work in relation to God's will. But I do believe this. When I go to prayer and I expose the problem to God, that God moves. And when God doesn't move, then I've got to conclude that the will of God is going to be something better if I'm just patient and wait. But there's something that happens when I go to the Lord in prayer. He either changes the problem or he changes me. And honestly, I'll take either one. Because sometimes when I go to the Lord in prayer, I'm so distraught, so upset, and so... Um, it's such an emergency that my life is affected such a, negative, uh, such a negative way that it's miserable. And so, yeah, God, if you're not ready to change the situation, and that's totally up to you, your God, then change me as I have to go through this situation. And so, guys, whenever we take it to the Lord in prayer, and James understands this, if you're in trouble, go pray. When God moves, God moves. When God doesn't, I'm called upon to trust Him. But either way, God changes me when I come before Him. And this is so important. Because God calms my emotions. And it's in, those, it's in those moments where I learn not to give up. Not to give up. Because so many of us do. This is such a big mess that it, not even God can straighten this mess out. And you'll be amazed at what he can do. And if he chooses not to straighten the mess out, he'll at least straighten you out. And that is so important. So number one, this is a phase of life you're going to find yourself in. A moment in your life that everybody goes through where you're going to find yourself in trouble. And James's answer to it is that you've got to learn how to go to prayer. You've got to learn how to take this to the Lord. And you've got to learn to accept and to believe and to, to worship him as he responds. But that's part of what we do as Christians when we go to the Lord in prayer. Now, here's the second one. Here's the second moment in time that you're going to find yourself in at some point in time. And here it is. When you are happy, there will be times when you're happy. When God is it just seems as though, now this here again is a a thing that needs to be clarified. We assume that whenever things are going great and I don't have any problems and I've got enough money to pay the bills and relationships are great, health is good, that God is blessing me and we assume that when things aren't like that, that God is not blessing me. And that isn't true. Because as a believer in Christ, God is going to work in your life to bring about blessing whether you see it or not. All things work together for good. Well, who's good? You know, what good? Well, God's working is what he's saying. But there will be times that you go through in life where everything just seems to be going great and you are so happy. You are on cloud nine. And those are moments in time where we need to learn how to respond. Now watch. In verse 13, the second part of this, he says, Is anyone happy? Now let him sing songs of praise. See, when old Joe came to my office and he was saying, I feel guilty over being so happy, I said, why? Do you believe that what God wants is for you to cower back in fear of proclaiming and praising God because you're afraid that you're going to hurt the feelings of somebody who may be going through that first phase? They're in trouble. Things aren't going well for them. And your heart goes out to them, and I understand that. But is it what God wants is for all the believers that are happy and things are going great to just to shut up about it so you don't hurt anybody's feelings? Because this is not what James says. James says, listen, if you're happy, then here's what you need to be doing. You need to be singing and praising God. You say, well, why? Well, because first of all, it's praise back to God, which he loves to get anyway. But secondly is this. To the guy that's in trouble and is giving up hope, what God is doing in your life provides him with hope. It's like a testimony. To be able to say, you know what? A couple of years ago, I was in your same situation. And I hit rock bottom, and I didn't know where to look but up. And I began to pray, and God has brought about change. And I'm telling you that whatever you're going through right now, Look at what God has done for me, and God's going to do the same for you. It's just a matter of walking with him through this time. And so it almost is as if you are a living testimony. You're giving God the credit. So, yeah, he says to you and me, if you are happy, why does that little song go the kids sing? If you're happy and you know it, say, say amen or what? I forgot the song. Somebody help me out here, okay? Yeah, is that right, Robert? All right, I think so, okay. But we need to, that's important, because both of these times are complete opposites, but both are times in your life that you're going to walk through, and you need to learn how to deal with it. Here's the third one that you're going to face sometimes, and that is when you're sick. There's a whole separate group of people here that he says, okay, you guys are sick, so here's what you do. Look at verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now what's the answer? Okay, if you are sick, and that's the phase of life that you're in right now, that's where you find yourself, then what do you do? Well, you call for help. That's the answer. You seek help. Now, in this particular context, he's saying, look, you call the elders of the church and let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Now, there's a couple of different viewpoints on this anointing with oil and praying over people. Let me share with you the two different, two different points of view. Which is real? Which, oh, I'm sorry, which is accurate? Which is true? Well, they both are. Either one or both is accurate, biblical, and true. I'm telling you that because what is James talking about in this context? I'm not sure exactly. I would take either one and say that either one of these are true, both are true, and both could be applied and still be biblical. Here's the first interpretation you if you want to, the first way of looking at this passage, and probably the most popular in, uh, view of the, of the passage, and that is this, that the oil in here represents or is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was symbolized with oil. Olive oil is what they're usually talking about. It would be a, a situation where you're setting this person apart as a special case, anointing with oil and drawing God's attention and drawing our faith to this particular sickness, to this particular problem. You're setting them apart, and as an expression of faith, you anoint with oil and pray over them. We've done that before here in this church. It happens a lot in other churches. This anointing with oil and setting people apart for a special purpose or plan or need is found throughout Scripture. You go back into the Old Testament, you find the kings being anointed with oil. David was anointed with oil when he was a teenager, before he ever became king. Is a sign or a symbol to the people that he was set apart. He was special or different. So to say that it is uh, not something that we should do today is not biblical because in the Bible it's perfectly acceptable and and it's a good thing to do. So this is the, the first point of view, if you will, or interpretation, that it is an expression of our faith. Here's a second one. Now, again, both are true. And that is that the oil represents medical treatment. The oil might represent medical treatment. Now let me explain that because a lot of times we're puzzled by this one because how could anointing with oil be this compared to applying medicine? you got to remember you're back in the first century, okay? They don't have the pharmacies like we have today. They don't have the, the medical breakthroughs that we have today. They don't have the medicine. But what they do have and what really developed through the Greek Empire, when the Greeks were in charge, they advanced society leaps and bounds. And in one of the areas that they did that was in what would be termed medical treatment. The use of herbs and spices and in medicines, plants and so forth. And in the application of it, they would always mix it with olive oil as an agent to apply it. That was just a, a way of doing it. Here are some of the things that would be mixed with olive oil in the first century and used as medicine. Watch. Frankincense was added to olive oil and used for medicine. Myrrh, aloe, myrtle, rose of Sharon, hyssop, spikenard, cassia, cedarwood, anise, garlic, the list goes on and on. Because they had learned by trial and error that if you do these certain things, it helps. They would mix up an oil mixture and, and apply it to a leper to relieve their pain. They learned early on that these, these applications could be used as an anti inflammatory, an antimicrobial, disinfectant, antibiotics. They didn't have what we have today, but they learned that if you apply these things and they used oil to apply them. Think with me for a moment about the passage in Scripture about the Good Samaritan. The good Samaritan finds this man beaten to a pulp and lying in a ditch. He picks him up, takes him to a a, inn, a hotel, and he mixes oil and wine and applies it to his wounds. Why? Probably the alcohol content in the wine. The oil helped it not to evaporate. This was common practice. Now, here's the point. This is a possibility, and I don't know the answer to which is which, okay? But I'm just saying they're both perfectly biblical. Could it be that what James is saying is that if anyone is sick, you gather together with him, you anoint him, or provide medical treatment and pray over them? Could be. I don't know. But either one is true, because if you're sick, you need to ask for help. Help includes physical, medical treatment and spiritual treatment. And so either and both are perfectly acceptable and true. And so that's what I believe as we look at that passage in James that he's talking about. If you are at this phase in life where you are struggling with sickness, then deal with it. Seek help, both physical and spiritual help. Now notice at the end of that verse he says, let me go back and read this. He says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now I don't know, but it seems like James is assuming that the reason they're sick may have something to do with their sinful lifestyle. So he's just saying, you go through this process and if they have sinned, you're praying for them, God will forgive them of that and heal them. Now, Again, I can't tell you why. That there are times when you anoint people with oil and pray over them, they still remain sick. It's happened. But I believe that is a practice of the of the church that we do that when called upon. So whenever you're sick, the point is, in that phase of life, do something about it. Take a step to fix it. Here's the fourth one, Now listen, because this is another moment or phase in your life that you're going to face sometimes, and that is when you sin. When you sin, you say, man, I can't imagine that I'm going to fall into sin or whatever, but you know what, it happens. Sometimes we get caught up into things that are ungodly. We don't realize it until after we've been snared, so to speak, because we've let it go on too long. James chapter 5 verse 16 here's what he says Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective Okay you're going through a phase in life where you have succumbed to temptation You find yourself caught in sin What do you do Confess it You confess it to God we're told that in Scripture. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. But James brings in this idea now of confessing to one another. What is that all about? I mean, the very thought of that makes you shudder. I don't want somebody knowing my innermost secrets. I don't want somebody to know the sins of my heart, He said. Now, I'm not talking about just public spewing of your your own sin I'm talking about and I believe this is what he's talking about a trusted friend, a trusted friend where you can be accountable and that's the key here It's accountability. Now guys let me ask you this you're struggling with temptation and you're giving into it and you're falling into that trap. The thing that's going to help deter that and turn you around is the realization that next Tuesday or whatever day, you're going to have to sit with your mentor, your friend, and you're going to have to tell them what you did. Boy, that's a deterrent. It really is. Who wants to admit to anybody verbally, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm struggling with? This is why I believe that he's saying this, and you need to confess it to each other. A trusted friend. You don't ignore it. You don't say, I can handle it. You make arrangements to deal with this. And you pray for each other. You lift each other up so that you may be healed. Now, he may or may not be talking about physical healing here. He may be talking about spiritual restoration. I don't know. It it could go either way. But this is why I think that last phrase, the prayer of a righteous person, is powerful and effective. You may not be in a righteous place right now. But the person that you choose to be your mentor hopefully is. And there may be times when they're down and you're up, so to speak. But you learn to trust each other and you learn to confide in each other. You learn to rely on each other. And there's something about confessing to another human being that changes everything. Because that thing that you thought was hidden is now out in the open. And it just changes everything. It's not, it doesn't seem to be this monumental issue in your, your mind and in your heart. It's been shared and it looks so small now. I'll, I would recommend that if you are struggling, that you find somebody that you can trust to be a mentor, to be a confidant with you. Here's the fifth phase or the fifth moment that you might find yourself in, similar to what we just talked about. But this is when a friend is in trouble. When a friend is in trouble, there will be times in life where somebody does come to you or maybe you just find out about it, but somebody is struggling. Somebody is really hurting. Here's what he says. In verse 19 and 20, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What is that talking about? Well, he's saying this, You've got a person that's struggling and going down a dark hole spiritually. And they're giving in to temptation and things. Let's say, okay, they're, they're, they're contemplating a divorce. Man's got a girlfriend. He's about to leave his wife. He's, he's into sin. And you are able to talk him out of it. You're able to bring him to his senses. And what he's talking about here is this, that you're saving this person from death. Physical death, spiritual death, I don't know. But, I mean, it's not good. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about a person that's a believer because that's the context of the people he's dealing with here. But you're saving this person from a horrible life, and you're restoring them. That's hard. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith. For you and me to get involved in another person's life. It really does. But somehow, some way, James is saying to you and me, as you go through life, you go from your ups and your downs and your lows and your highs and your happiness and your sadness and all of this stuff. There will be people that come across your path that need you. They really do. They're hurting. They can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They can't get out of this thing. And they need tough love. They need for somebody to say to them point blank, what you're doing is a sin. What you're doing is shameful. I love you, but I am ashamed of what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. And somehow to bring them to their senses to see that before God they have a a responsibility to live a different life. When you, are, when you have a friend that is in trouble, get involved. That's what he's saying to do when you find yourself in that situation. Very quickly, let me bring this to a close. I want to challenge you with three things, okay? Three points of challenge. Here we go. Number one, be flexible with whatever God does in your life. You've got to learn to be flexible with whatever God does in your life. If if you if you are like my friend Joe comes in and says I'm depressed because everything's going well. You're not being flexible. If I am down because everything's going bad, I'm not being flexible. I've got to learn to understand that I go through the phases. That's just life. But my commitment and my relationship and my responsibility to the, to God remain the same. And so I can't let happiness or sadness interfere with my walk with the Lord. So I've got to become flexible in whatever God does. So that means, okay, there'll be times in life where you are sick. He says, that's part of life. Now go get help. There'll be times in life where you're happy. He says, that's part of life. Praise God. Thank Him. Praise Him. Let people know. There'll be times in life where you've got friends that are in trouble then you have some courage to go help them. There'll be times in life where you find yourself giving in to temptation and to sin. He said, you've got to wake up. You better wake up. And you need to confess it. You need to find somebody you can confide in. There'll be times when you're just in trouble. Always, always feel the freedom to go to the Lord with everything in prayer. But be flexible with whatever God brings into your life. Number two is this. Don't judge God's love by your circumstances. Don't judge God's love for you or anybody else by the circumstances of life. Because, guys, if you go through these phases, as all humans do, and James is just admitting that, he says, if this is what you're going through, do this. If this is what you're going through, do this. As you go through these things then you cannot judge whether God does or doesn't love you. If you do that, your faith is going to go right down the tubes because anytime anything bad, sad happens, God's mad at me, God hates me, God doesn't love me. And Then when something good happens, you say, God loves me more than, more than that person over there. You see, we do that. Because we look at the situations of life and we determine by that whether God loves me or not. And here's what you've got to do. You have got to anchor everything you feel, everything you decide, everything you you do has got to be anchored in the Scriptures. How do I know God loves me? I can tell you right now it's not because of things I do. I know God loves me because He tells me that in His Word and I stand on that. So where things are going bad or good or going down the tubes, whatever, I respond to that, but I never doubt that love. I trust Him. And that's what you and I've got to do. Don't judge God's love by the circumstances of your life. Here's number three, the final one. Remember what it was like for you in that situation. And what I'm talking about is this. When you see somebody in the opposite situation that you maybe have come through in the past, here's what you've got to do. You may be going through a terrible time in life right now, but you see somebody else that is happy and things are working out for them and God seems to be moving and, and, and they don't know what to do. You need to go over to them and you need to put your arm around them and you need to tell them, praise the Lord. You know, don't feel ashamed. Don't you dare feel like you can't be open and honest about your desire to express your, your joy. Be happy. Somebody's sad and going through a hard time. Be able to go over to them and say, you know what, a year or two ago I went through the same thing. And I want you to know I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you with anything I can. But I remember what it was like. See, I remember. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, here's what Paul says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. What is he saying? Well, remember what it was like for you when you went through that time, that phase in your life. I want to leave you with the thought that I began with, and that is this, something that I want you just to remember, and that is this. At any given moment of your life, your life will be different than it is for somebody else but make the most of life regardless of the situation. Go back to what he said. If you are this, then respond this way. If you are this, respond this way. Everybody's different at different times. But our faith, our commitment, our devotion are all the same, or at least it should be. That's what we've got to stand on. What I am in now a year from now I may not be. What I'm experiencing now, the sadness or the joy, a year from now I may not be. But while I am here, I will do what God has called me to do. That's all I can do. Our Heavenly Fathers, we bow here before you, Lord. We are overwhelmed with the reality that life is hard sometimes. And sometimes, Lord, in the middle of a disaster, we can find joy and happiness. Father, we're going through somewhat of that now, and I expect things are going to get worse in this old world before they get better. But, Father, I pray for each one of us as we bring this study to a close that we would indeed become people who practice what they preach, that we would put into application the things that you have told us are true. And Lord, as we go through these different times in life, that we would learn, that we would learn how to respond. That, Father, our faith will not be shaken. Our commitment to you will never fall by the wayside. That, Father, we will remember who we are. And we will always respond the way that you have called us to respond. Father, help us to be faithful to you. And live life as you tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.